up, everybody? It's time for another Master Passive Income Show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I help people to quit their jobs by investing in real estate rental properties so they never, ever have to work another job again. Now, today we're going to be talking about syndication and getting passive income. Now, syndication is a big word. I know when I first heard the word syndication, I said, well, what does that mean? Well, syndication is basically working with other people pulling your money together, buying properties, and making passive income. It's really, really not that complicated, but at the same time, there's a lot of moving parts. In this show, we're gonna learn so much about how to do syndication, what to look for, what to watch out for, and how to do it right. So we're gonna be looking at syndication, how we can pull our money together with other investors and make lots of passive income. All right, guys, let's get in there and let's start the show. Welcome to the Master Passive Income Podcast, where we talk about all aspects of real estate rental properties with a special focus on making enough money so you can quit your job and live the dream life. And now, here is your host, Dustin Heiner. Right. Now, I am super excited, not just for the show. I've, obviously, I love being here. I love having you guys be with me every single week talking about real estate. But today, actually, it was yesterday. I'm looking at it today now. I'm recording. But I just got in the mail a certified letter from the county, one of the counties that I invest in. And I was like, oh, you know, hopefully this isn't bad news. Like the county saying, hey, you got to fix up your house or there's noncompliance, which they do have different laws that say you have to be in compliance. They Some cities and some counties, they actually have somebody go out to your place and check your place to make sure it's in adequate uh, shape and, you know, there's no paint flaking off and all that sort of stuff. But they also charge you, like in this one county, I think you get charged like $25 or $30 a year per property. You know, if you got 20 properties, that's a lot of money. And so it adds up really, really quick. But what they do is they also go out and tell you what's going on with the property, what's wrong with it. Um, you know, oh, well, it's in my opinion, it's a way for them to make money, the counties to make money. And the reason why I say that is because the inspectors, they barely ever get out there. Anyways, uh, long story short, it's a bummer that cities and counties, they try to make money off of us investors. But it's a cost of doing business. So we got to make sure that we take care of um, as or when we're buying the property. But what I am so excited about is I just got a certified letter from the county. And this was a fantastic certified letter that I opened up. And I looked at that it was back in, I think it was February or March. That's usually the beginning of the year is you want, that's when you want to appeal your property taxes. You go and look at your property taxes. You look to see which one you can appeal. Appeal, basically tell the county government, hey, the value that you have on this property, my property is too high. You're taxing me too much. Lower the property value and take out that tax. And so I got this letter back. So apparently in one county, I had three properties that I appealed and one of them got denied, not necessarily, yeah, I got denied, basically said, no, the value's, the value's correct, we can't lower it. But two other properties actually got appealed and my value came down lower. What was fantastic was I now, every single year from these two properties, I am going to be pocketing or saving myself money, $500 every single year is going back in my pocket. One property was $330 that I and have lowered the total tax value 
down. The other one was $152. So basically, you know, round down. But anyways, so basically $500 that I'm putting back in my pocket, which I could take my family, you know, skiing or get, you know, take out to dinner or something. But it really only took me like three minutes to actually do this appeal process. It was terrific. I had my property manager just represent me. Really, really simple. Now, let's just say that two minutes is too short. Let's just round it up to 15 minutes or let's do a half an hour. Let's just say it takes me a half an hour. You, if you do it the first time, it might take you a half an hour, but it's so simple. And let's just say it took a half an hour. Well, one half an hour worth of work, I got $500 back just now. It's so awesome. Now, every single year, my value is going to be lower. So that's $500 saved over and over again. And so because of this, next week, I'm going to be talking about how to appeal your property taxes, and how to save yourself money because I'm just pumped up about this. And I want to show you how to get your own properties. I want to show you how to start investing in real estate rental properties so you can do things like this where you can appeal and save more money and put that much more money in your pocket. Now, I want to give you my free real estate investing course. Text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L, to 33777. Rental to 33777. That actually gets sent right to me, and I'm going to send you my free course. And I want you to get started investing in real estate because it has changed my life, countless other lives, all of my students' lives. I am super excited to get you started investing in real estate rental properties, and I want to give you that free course. Text the word rental to 33777. This week's show, we're going to be talking with an awesome investor business owner. He's going to talk to us about his experience in syndication. And so I am super excited to have you listen to him. He's a terrific guy. Really, really got to know him well and really, really enjoyed talking with him and working with him. And as you're listening to this, you're going to hear that there are so many things that you need to watch out for, so many things that you need to do when you are investing. I want you to go to the show notes where I have everything written out. Go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash 83. This is the 83rd podcast episode, masterpassiveincome.com forward slash 83. And I'll also have that in the description as well. Let's get into today's show where we are going to be looking at how to start syndication, how to do syndication, what to look out for, and all that great stuff. All right, guys, let's listen into the show where we talk about syndications. All right, now, thank you guys so much for being here today. I have the privilege of having somebody that I met a few, probably about six to eight months ago, really fantastic guy. Now, he is the owner of thecollegeinvestor.com, and he has built this big, big site. I mean, it's actually a fantastic site. You definitely should check it out. On top of that, what I've also come to know is he's a real estate investor as well. And you know, I love real estate. I love rental properties. I love making that passive income. And so this gentleman that started College Investor is also an investor in real estate as well. And one thing I love, he also started as a cart pusher at Target and worked his way all the way up to a general manager of a Target. And so, I mean, even beyond that. So he's a fantastic guy. Anyways, Robert, Robert Farrington from The College Investor is here with us. So Robert, thank you so much for being here on the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Dude, I remember actually, you know what's so funny is one of the first times we met, we actually went to lunch with an online real estate company right here in San Diego. It's so funny. We did. We did. I know we had a mutual friend that said, hey, we, uh, there's this company needs, uh, we want to vet them. And you and I went and we, after listening, we were like, oh, I'm not so sure about this company, but oh, well, that's another story. So man, it's just like us, real estate, like it's just kind of all comes together. It's kind of funny that way. Absolutely. And then I started talking to you more about your real estate business and getting to know everything about what you've done. Now, what was, think back, 
think back further beyond you know just anything because I know you invest here in um, Arizona as well. We want to talk about that, but what was the very very first investment property that you bought? Tell us about that. Yeah, well, you know, I actually kind of grew up around real estate. So my grandparents had apartment complexes here in San Diego, and my mom house hacked actually. So she bought a triplex, she lived in the back house, rented the other duplex that was in the front. And so, like, I kind of always grew up on it. I remember, like, as a kid, you know, I was probably like eight years old, like, I'd go and like help paint after like some tenant moved out and stuff. And so like, I'd always kind of like just had real estate investing around me. Um, and so like, you know, as I saved up and a little bit, like the first like kind of real estate I actually ever invested in was a REIT, right? So like when you have no money, I had a hundred bucks, right? Probably this is like, I don't know, right after college and I was investing in the stock market, but it's like, how do I get real estate exposure um, as someone that doesn't have any kind of property or anything? Or, you know, not even, I had experience, but not really, right? And so I started investing in REITs, uh, which actually did really well for a time, but then I, I learned a lot because then they didn't do so well. And then I learned there's actually a whole bunch of different kinds of REITs. So you could have REITs that invest in residential property, commercial property, property. You can have ones that just invest in mortgages. And so it's like kind of like property, but not really. You're just investing in loans. And so like there's all these different ways to invest in real estate. And then, you know, over time I did, I, I had some syndication deals and other things like that. And so just kind of been slowly investing in various ways of real estate over time. Oh, that's that's great. And now the the REIT being a real estate investment trust, I, I actually started buying um, single family homes, but I thought, you know, how else can I I guess, diversify or try to make it so that I have, you know, not all my eggs in one basket. And I started buying REITs myself, you know, real estate investment trust. But then I realized, you know, I was making a little bit of money, but for all my money that was tied up, I could be using that to buy actual properties myself and make so much more money. Now, as we were talking and getting to know each other more, I started learning that you have some uh, actually property, investment property, really, really close to me here in Phoenix. Tell us a little bit about how that got started and everything about that. Yeah, yeah. So I really like the idea of uh, syndicated property. So coming from this like REIT idea where it's like, but how can I own more of it? and get a better return and like actually own the physical property, right? But I didn't want to do all this work. So remember like kind of this, this memory I had going back as a kid or it's like I'm doing like maintenance on my mom's rentals. So I, I really like the syndication property idea where it's like I'm an owner, I'm a limited partner, but I also am part of a large, it's a large apartment complex right over there, um, right by GCU. And, uh, you know, but so I get a piece of it. And I'm in, I'm in the LLC, but like we have the general partner and a real estate management firm that handles it all. So it's like, I get, I almost get the wins. There's definitely risk and loss. Like there was water damage and we had to invest a lot in putting in a new roof and all kinds of craziness. So like you still have that ownership. But on the flip side, like you get, you get everything that you normally get as part of a real estate property. I get my like 8% or whatever it happens to be of the income, of the depreciation, of the expenses. And I put that on my taxes, just like I'm an owner of the property. So um, I really like that idea, but I learned like I, I wanted to get into this, but you've got to vet it like a regular property, but you almost have more things to vet. You got to vet the general partner, right? Because like, you're not the only one involved. So it's like when you, like you said, you like to buy single family homes. So it's like for you, you're just looking at the home effectively, right? Well, for me, it's like, I'm looking at the, the asset of the apartment complex, plus who's with you in this deal, right? So you got to know the firm, you got to, or the person or the general partner and like, do they know what they're doing? Do they have experience? Especially 
most of the time when you're in a syndicated deal, um, they're larger properties, right? So I think the one we have is 110 units, right? So they're bigger, they're bigger properties. So you, do they have experience with larger properties? Do they know how to rent them? Do they know how to, you know, handle all that kind of stuff? So, um, but I like that. I'm a, I'm a numbers kind of guy. I like looking at the paperwork. Uh, and, but I also don't like to get out and necessarily go out and paint an apartment complex or paint an apartment when it's vacant, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And that's, you know, I personally love not doing any work on any of my properties. I mean, I just traveled for four weeks all over the East Coast because I could, because it wasn't working. Sure. I don't want to be painting and changing toilets and all that sort of stuff. Right. And I know you got systems, man. We've talked in depth about your whole systems, which are amazing, um, but you probably didn't start there either. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Just like anything, you've got to build it up. I really, I'd made so many mistakes. I've lost tens of, or maybe twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 doing things the wrong way. And I've learned as I went and then developed a system that now I could just replicate it anywhere in the country. It just works out really, really well. Right. And so like, I didn't have those systems. So it's like, for me, when I was looking to start, it's like, I had my experience. And I was like, ah, I didn't really like that. But I like, I love the idea of physical property because for me too, it's like people always need a place to live. Right. So that's why I do like apartment complexes. I was like, I like them in areas where it's like college kids or, you know, jobs or whatever it is. Like you got to kind of think about that because there's risks, right? Like everyone always does say that like, oh, real estate, you know, is a, a really safe investment. And I think in a lot of ways it is like you have tangible physical property. It's not like stock. Right. But I mean, there's also been plenty of cases where the real estate market tanks. Uh, think of Detroit's a, a great example, right? The auto industry closed, a lot of vacancies, a lot of houses, a lot of exoduses. So it, it's not always like this really stable thing, but it can be. And I think historically it has a, a, por uh, a really strong part in a lot of people's portfolio. So I like to think of my portfolio. So I got um, myself right? Like we make money. Like we have, we can have job skills. You can go out and earn and everything. And the goal is you funnel that money into like these other baskets, right? So a lot of people, it's, it's stocks and equities, maybe a 401k, right? That's kind of like the first basket for a lot of people. But then I think physical property and real estate um, is a great the kind of third asset that you can invest in, right? Because it performs different. It performs different than you. And it performs different than paper assets like the stock market because it has different risk and rewards. It has real people and real physical value. And then even within real estate, though, you have residential, you have commercial, you have industrial, you have mixed use properties. And all those also perform in different ways, right? Like commercial, everyone's been on this commercial bandwagon now for like five years, but it's also where we're at in the economy. But it's like, yeah, there's high re reward potentially, but there's also higher risk. Right. Because where's the first thing that, you know, kind of goes down when the economy goes down is you look at these strip malls. Right. And mom and pop stores that were in there might not be there and you might have vacancy risk. Whereas like with residential, people always need their homes. So you have less vacancy risk. But, you know, you know, unlike a, a business, people might not maintain those properties in the same way as people would a storefront or other places. So, you know, you got different things you got to think about. And that's what I really like about the real estate aspect of people's in portfolios, including my own. Yeah, I think those are all amazing, amazing points. And I know whenever I buy something, I buy it so that I make money day one, but where passive income, where rents come in, that's why I really, really love single family homes, even, you know, uh, duplexes, fourplexes, and multifamily homes. Now, 
um, some people have actually I have a, I've got a lot of people that want to invest in me when I get into apartment complexes. But right now the market's really, really high. And I tell them, this is why I tell everybody um, that they say, Hey, I want to invest with you. I said, well, I'm not investing my money right now. So I wouldn't invest yours. I'll, I'll let you know when I'm going to invest. And when I do, when I put my money in the market, I, that's when I feel comfortable. And I'll, you know, I'll at least give you the opportunity to come in. Now, when you're talking about syndication, syndication, is, it's a lot of people um, don't really know that word. Now, tell us what you think of syndication means, especially you're now the, you're the passive, you're just the investor, you're owner, but you're the investor. How does that play out as being the passive investor through syndication? Right. So, I mean, there's different ways to structure the deal, but the ones that I like is that you start an LLC, so a company, right? And that company buys a property. Let's just say a hundred unit apartment complex. And so what they do is usually there's a general partner or the, the real estate firm that found this property and they are a 60%, I don't know, I'm just making up numbers here, but they're like a 60% owner in that LLC. And so they're the, the, the master partner, the general partner of this thing. And they're usually the ones that are going to be responsible for the plan, uh, the main financing sources. And usually they're also the ones that are responsible for the maintenance, the leasing. They usually have firms. You know, solid general partners are also very... Um, they should know what they're doing with this, right? They should already have a property management firm lined up. They should already have experience with this type of property, et cetera. But then, so they're the 60% owner. And then they look for how do you fill in that rest of the 40% that you need to buy it. So typically, a lot of these properties do have some kind of debt on them, right? So they get a loan and stuff, 20%. And then they look to fill in the remaining 20%. And that could be, depending on the value of the property, I mean, a couple million dollars of money that they're looking for. And so they look for other partners that want to contribute, maybe $100,000, right? And so then you fill in that million dollars with 10 other people to get to that, you know, that slice that they're trying to fill. And so then each person owns that fractional share of the LLC and the LLC is the owner of that property. So then you can do the math and I don't know, like you're five, you're 5% owner of said property. And that has pros and cons, right? So as a limited partner, the con is you don't have as much control. <laughs> really, you're the silent partner. And so, you know, once you're in the deal, you're in the deal, you're an owner in this LLC, which, you know, could involve, you know, what if there's a capital call? What if like, heaven forbid, like the worst case scenario in real estate, like a fire or something bad happens, like, you know, you have that, you have that money in and you don't have a lot of say in what necessarily happens after that. They could either ask for more money or if they have to raise more money, your share gets diluted, right? So maybe you are a 5% owner, but they need to raise another million bucks to do X, Y, Z to the property. Well, now maybe you're a 2% owner because someone else came in with that money. So that's the risk. But the reward is you get all your five, let's just say nothing happens and it's like a normal, not knock on wood, right? But like a, uh, a regular, you know, everything's just going like it's supposed to. Well, you get your 5% of the rent income. You get your, you know, 5% of the depreciation that's taken on the property. You get your 5% of all the expenses. So you get your K, you get a K1 statement uh, every tax season, which is like, basically imagine your, you know, what is it? Schedule E, right? Uh, your tax return for your property, but it's like just your 5% of it. And then if there is an exit, whether it's a, a sale, you would get your percentage of the, the earnings, whatever it happens to be. So um, the reward is that you get, you, you're an owner, 
but you do have less work. But you, you know, everything is a risk reward game, right? So you make up for that reward with having potentially more risk or at least different risks than you would have in terms of just owning a property directly. Yeah. And that's something that whenever I get into syndication, um, I always make sure that whoever's investing with me, I let them know, hey, you, whatever percentage you get into the property, into the company, you definitely get those profits. You get all those wins. But if there are losses, you need to be completely aware. If there are losses, there are detrimental things. Like if we need to put money into it, we need to put money into it. If we need to get another investor, like you're saying, to help with that, that dilutes our shares, all that sort of stuff. So there's ups and downs. And I personally believe there's many more ups as long as you're doing it right. And like you said, vetting that general partner, the, basically the active investor, the one that's doing all the work, you really need to be comfortable with that person and that company or whoever is running it. Because I personally, I wouldn't give my money just to anybody. Hey, go ahead and invest that. In fact, I get questions all the time like, hey, can I, can I borrow money from you so that I can invest in properties? And I'm like, well, do you have any experience? No, I already know this stuff because they already told me. But number one, do you have any experience actually doing any investing yourself? Do you have any experience managing properties? You know, all, all these experience questions come up in my brain as well as every other investor's brain. Now, with you, exactly the same thing. You ask those questions. You want to make sure that this property that you have is actually going to be managed very, very well and mitigate all those problems. Now, when you're talking about looking out for a syndication deal, like if somebody approaches you, what are your steps or what do you do with a syndication deal if and when somebody approaches you and they say, I have this great deal and they give you some numbers, like what is your process? What are your train of thought and going through that? So it's twofold, right? So you kind of touched on it, but who are you? And like, what is your experience with this? And I'm, I'm going to go out and Google the company. I'm going to go out and Google the founders. I'm going to go see what their experiences is. I want to see what their portfolio holdings are. I want to see what's their plan for the property too, because you know, there's also multiple strategies here. Is it buy and hold? Is it refi in five to seven years? Is it, are we going to gut the property, move it from a class B apartment to a class A apartment? Are we going to train? Like, what's their plan? And then what's the property, right? So like, just like you would buy a single family home or anything else, like what's the location? What's the condition? What's the price? What are they getting per door right now? What's the goal? Like if it's going to be a, a fixer upper, like what's the investment? Are they raising enough to pay for the renovations and investments? You know, like, like what's the math and economics look like? Because you'd be surprised. I'm asking, I'm, we're saying these things, but it's like, I've seen all of these things happen wrong. I've seen a general partner that goes into a deal that wants to fix and flip and doesn't raise enough money and then either has to go out and borrow more, but then what's the rates look like today? Or I've seen companies that have a target five to seven year before they refinance their debt. And, you know, five years ago, these companies look amazing today because here they are five years ago, they took a variable rate loan and rates have gone down over five years. And so to their investors, they're like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. We're refining for a lower rate making this. Do you think that's going to happen five to seven years if you're buying a property today? <laughs> you know, and so like you have to look at that. Are you going to buy and hold? Okay, what's the economics of the area look like or the actual housing project look like? If you're buying a mixed use, like, you know, what is the tenant look like today? What is that going to look like play out? Like, are, you know, especially like what's your anchor tenants, right? Are you, do you have a big box retailer? Because retail is a scary place right now. I just saw a bunch of 
place is going bankrupt last week, you know, right before this thing is. So it's like, who are your tenants? What do they look like? Are they going to be around? Are you just going to have vacancies and who's going to fund that? Like, what's the plan? So, you know, you have this catch 22, but I like, like I said, I like the numbers. I like the math. I like the due diligence part. And so that's why syndication deals are kind of fun to me because it's like a puzzle, a little bit of research, a little bit of reading and that kind of thing. And I enjoy that. And you went through so many different things to look for. I mean, every single one of those, there's so much information to learn in order to do that. As you're running through those, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. I'm like, oh my goodness. If somebody wants to do syndication and wants to invest well, they're really going to need to actually go through and do the due diligence. Now, if somebody doesn't have any clue of what those answers, like you ask those questions, like what if this and what if that? Well, if you don't know what those answers those questions are, you really should figure out what you want to hear when somebody's uh, pitching you, like they say, hey, I have a deal. Well, if you ask the question, what's your exit strategy? And you know, how are we getting out? Or wh what are we doing? What's our long-term goals? And if they don't have an answer that fits your aligned goals, then maybe it's time to move on. But uh, there's so many great things to unpack there. Now for you, what is the, so you currently have one syndication deal. Do you have any other properties outside of that? No, right now I just have the syndication deal and then I have uh, REITs in my regular portfolio. Yeah. Got it. Now, are you looking to do anything in the future that would be uh, syndication or is it maybe um, anything that you would want to do on your own where you have your own properties? Yes and yes, but I have the same feeling that you have right now. I do feel that things are overvalued. There was like a meme going around the internet with, uh, what's his name? He's like millennials on the sideline waiting for the recession, right? Like, <laughs> like I am kind of waiting for that because I do feel like things are overvalued and I do feel like things are going to correct in the future. And, and so I'm going to look for that deal because I also like deals that are cash flow positive. Uh, and you can get that in a syndication deal too, um, or it, maybe it's gonna be cash flow positive with an investment. Maybe you're, you're gonna do a little bit of renovation because you know a lot of properties do just naturally require that, whether it's deferred maintenance or other things. But um, you know, how close can you get to cash flow positive from day one? And I think that's a huge thing. And I'm in a, a higher cost of living market. I'm in San Diego, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that the deal's still the deal. And, you know, rents are also higher. So yeah, property values are higher, but rents are higher. So, you know, the math can still work. Um, and so I'm just waiting for that, that time to come. And uh, the cool thing is I'm young. Uh, and so I have time to wait. I'm not, I'm not, I think the worst thing you can be is an inpatient investor, you know, because the other thing is, is you can get 2.25% risk-free on your cash right now, just putting in like a online high yield savings account and just wait for the day. And that's not a bad return either. Like at least for cash on cash while you're waiting for that right deal to come. I love that thought. And that's what I have plenty of money on the sidelines. Like people ask me all the time, you know, um, what are your thoughts about the market or uh, where should I buy? Now, there are great deals. Like you said, a deal is a deal. As long as you're getting pass, uh, passive income and cash flow positive every single month, it's going to be a good deal. Um, but I do have plenty of money seen on the sidelines. So when there is a correction, I don't know. It, I don't know when. I just know that it will. Just because that's the market cycle. So, what are your more thoughts about the the? the I mean, just currently the way the market is, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, not predicting anything. But like, what are your thoughts, and where are we going? You you can't predict the market, but you know, statistics show that we are well overdue for a correction. 
Um, and that's just statistics and you never know, but it's kind of like, you know, we're, we're past like the 95 percentile of a probability of it happening just because, you know, usually there is a correction in the stock market and the equities market, right? We are also at historical lows for unemployment. And so that will also revert to the mean, not to say that's not a big win and that we should be very thankful for where we're at, but like there is always a reversion to the mean, which means unemployment will rise. Uh, the stock market will fall. You know, the economics are changing. Like we're in a very dynamic world with like, you know, some retailers are folding, but then you got like the Amazons of the world succeeding. But that also means that like the real estate market's in flux. I mean, look at like Seattle and San Francisco are like gangbusters, right? Um, But that doesn't mean that's always going to exist right? Like things are going to change. And even those companies are looking to move elsewhere too, because they know for their employees, it's a high cost of living area. They can't build more headquarters. So then like Austin was like a hotspot, you know, a lot of companies move there, but then there's going to be some other hotspot coming in the future too. Like I can't predict it. All I know is that you got to just, you know, do your diligence on the deal and you got to think critically. And then like, all you can ever do is take care of yourself. So like, I'm also just huge on like, you know what, the stock market is going to fall, it's going to tank. But if if you saved for yourself, and you have a a well diversified portfolio, which once again, go to my buckets, you have your equity bucket, you have your real estate bucket, maybe you have a small business or a side hustle bucket. I like that one too. Um, You know, like you diversify, you take care of yourself, like up, down, side to side, whatever happens, you know, Take care of yourself, be ready, and then you know things will come along. I also think it's really important to, to build your network. I don't know if you have this, but this is kind of how I find deals is through my network. And so I actually had one the other day and it just didn't feel right. But like, even though we're in this really crazy, you know, I think more inflated prices, there was a mixed-use commercial building, maybe like a mile from my house, that just sold like super below market value, off market, wasn't even listed, but it was a distressed owner. And the real estate agent had the deal and was like, I'm just looking, the guy just needs cash in like 72 hours. And so things like that still happen, even though it's this crazy thing. And so like this mixed use property went for like 70% below what it's worth because the owner just needed cash to, for whatever the reason was, you know? And so like the property was probably worth like $1.5 million and it it went for like 350 K. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm talking like it had an anchor 7-Eleven tenant. Great deal. Right. But like those things are there, but you know how you find those is through your network, you know, but you have to be ready for it. And I just didn't feel good about it, but like those deals still exist and you hear about them, but you only will hear about them if you're networking with people and connecting with people and if you're ready for them. And that means taking care of yourself first, having that savings that you're, you're all your ducks in a row ready to go for when that deal does come along. I love that thinking because number one, being ready, because if you find, if a deal actually you stumble upon it or somebody brings it to you or whatever it might be, if you're not actually ready for the deal, it's going to be a lot harder. You don't have as many options as like, you know, you or I, because we've built up our businesses, our lives, and and we're ready for it. We can jump on it. We we can make the best decision for ourselves. But if you don't have, if you're not ready, you have to try to uh, figure out and find the best way to do it, which is not always the best way at the time, but it's not always the very, very best way that you and I would, but I completely agree. Having a network is something that is I get, I get deals all the time because people know me as a real estate investor and they know you as the college investor. And so they're like, Hey, let's go to Robert or let's go to Dustin and bring deals. I get in my email box. I get all the day. I get pro- every day 
all day long, I get emails from people, hey, here's a property, there's a wholesale property, here's another wholesale property, here's an apartment complex. I get it all the time because people know me and I put my name out there. So everybody listening to this, absolutely be telling everybody that you are a real estate investor or you're just an investor in general, because the more your name gets out there, the more opportunities and deals will actually come. But Robert, you're absolutely right. They're still, even though prices are really, really high or it's, it's seeming like it's, it's uh, pretty close to the top, um, at least in my perspective, there still are great deals out there. You can't pass up um, if it's a fantastic deal. You have the means go on it. You didn't because it didn't feel right. I completely understand that. And so I'm I'm starting a, a hopefully I'm going to be starting a gym. I'm getting a commercial lease, but I'm also really thinking about oh my goodness, you have the market and everything going on here. I don't know if I want to lock into a lease. My life's fine without having it. I just for fun. And so it's just you know kind of balancing everything out. Now with you and the thinking of now let's shift gears a little bit to the college investor and your business now with the college investor. Tell us a little bit about the college investor you know, how you started that and how, you know, where it's at today. Yeah, well, well, I think you said it right. It's it's also your life. So, you know, all the money in the world's not going to change your life. Money doesn't equal happiness. There's plenty of people that retire early and they're miserable because they never found purpose. And I think you live this a lot with your family. Um, And I'm very envious. I I was watching your like four month road trip or, you know, our four week road trip going all these sites because you know what, like, every business decision, every deal also comes with a set of complications and headaches and work. And so the question is, is that worth it to your life? Because, you know, things might not improve it or change it. As you're negotiating this gym thing and stuff, it's like, yeah, it's going to add work, whether you want it, maybe you appreciate that and want that, or maybe you don't. And so that's the cool thing where I'm at with a college investor is I've really designed this into a business. Um, it revolves around my lifestyle. So like you said, I started this when I was in college and I was working full time at Target and it was a side hustle. It was a passion project. Like I just wanted to share my thoughts on investing and personal finance and what I was doing. I was getting out of student loan debt at the time too. And I was writing about that and, and people started resonating with it. So I started writing more and more and sharing more. And so here we are fast forward 10 years later, we just had our 10 year anniversary last month. And it's no longer a side hustle, it's my full time gig. But I love it because I just enjoy talking about these topics. I enjoy helping people. And yes, we can earn revenue from it because we have those partnerships and people take action on our message. And so I'm very blessed by how the business has grown and what we're able to do. But I, I do think about that, like, what's important to me? And this is one of the reasons I left Target. So I actually really loved working at Target. It was a great job. I liked my boss. I liked who I worked with. I'd done it for so long. I found the job really easy. Like I could walk into a store and, and you know, I could tell you what's going on, what's working, what's not working, how to fix it. I liked working with people and they paid really well, right? People don't realize that, but Target store managers earn really good money, okay? But I had to ask myself, uh, you know, show me your time and show me your money and I'll tell you what you value. And so my son at the time was starting to, you know, I think he was like four-ish, three and a half. And he was starting to do like soccer on Saturdays and things like that. And the one thing that the drawback with retail, right, is nights, weekends, and holidays. Even though I was a store manager, like you can't avoid these things, right? Like, you know, there's no way I was going to tell my boss I'm taking like a week off at Christmas. It's like Christmas in retail. Like you can't do that. Like she just, no. And so like I had to make a choice. And the choice was like, you know, 
am I still going to continue doing this or am I going to actually do what I say I do and like value my time and spend time with my family? And so it was a hard decision to leave, but that's when I decided to leave and just do this full time because I really did want to spend more time with my kids. I wanted to be there for, you know, soccer games and whatnot as they were growing up. And, and I'm so glad I have. And so as you Real estate deals, business deals, they're very hand in hand. Like I call a real estate like it's a, it's a pseudo business, right? Like it might be its own asset class, but depending on how you do it, it it's work. And do you want to put that work and time and effort in? And, you know, what do you actually value and where you spend your time? And, and I think it's different for everybody. Um, but that's, that's how I'm choosing to live right now. And, you know, there's also seasons of life. You know, like I got this season with young kids. I'm probably gonna have a different season with older kids and they're going to be grown kids and, and everyone's got a different season of life. And so I think it's important that you kind of ask yourself honestly where you're at and then, you know, decide, is this how you want to spend your time and your money? And does that reflect your value set right now? I love that. And especially um, like you, what you just said, how does it fit your values and where you are? And I, the way I have my life designed, it's so, I'm so, I'm so blessed. Like I could, I, if somebody says, Hey Dustin, what do you do all day? It's like, I just go to the gym, hang out with the family and maybe do a podcast interview with somebody as awesome as Robert, you know, just, I don't do a whole lot because my business runs and uh, it's, it's fantastic to be able to do that. And now with you, I guess the, as we're summing everything up, give us, uh, everybody listening, a, a tip that if you were to go back to the very beginning when you first started, not just uh, syndication, but just in general with with real estate, with basically investing and, and and realizing how you can make money outside of you know working a job. If you were to give yourself any tips or like if you were to do one thing, do this, like what would you say to your younger self? The number one thing I'd say, well, first off, the baseline is get organized. And I'm saying this for your listeners, because if you're not organized with your personal finances, you can't even make informed decisions about what you want to do. So get organized. But part two is save until it hurts. Okay, because like we blow so much money when we're 18 years old on the silliest things. And even when you're in your 20s, like, man, I used to have subwoofers in the trunk of my car. And I'm <laughs> so like, did I. <laughs> like, I'm just like, man, there was like 1800 bucks that I just blew on like stupid stuff, right? And so save that money. Because here's the thing is when you are in your 20s, and most young people, it doesn't matter what you invest in. You can invest in stocks, you can invest in real estate, you can invest in anything. And it doesn't even matter because the number one driver of your wealth when you're young is how much you can save. Because when you only have a hundred bucks and you, let's just say you get a 100% return on your money, which is phenomenal. Like that would be the greatest return in the whole world. Now you're at 200 bucks. It doesn't make a difference. <laughs> but if you can save 100 bucks a month and then you're at 1200 bucks and then you can start earning 8 to 10% returns in whatever asset class you choose, whether it's investments or real estate or whatnot, then you start moving the needle. But for the first 10, 15, 20 years of your life, the amount you save is actually going to be the biggest definer of your future wealth than any type of investment vehicle you choose. Because if you don't have any money to invest, it doesn't even matter the return you get because there's just not enough to grow into something meaningful. I love that. I love that idea, especially thinking about now I have kids. I have four kids, um, see uh, 11, 10, eight, and six. And ever since they've known money, 
that I've taught them that they need to save. Well, this is what we do with the, with the money for all of our kids. They get anything from Christmas or you know birthdays or whatever. And we don't give them allowance because it's a privilege to be in this family and you work your butt off just like mommy and daddy do. So that's that's a whole, that's another side thing. But what we do is every bit of the money that they get from anywhere. 10% immediately goes to God. We give it to charity. We give it to our church. Then 50% of the total goes into savings. And I, I make sure like at the very beginning, like they get 10 bucks, $5 immediately goes into savings. A dollar goes to God. Now with that savings, I was thinking, even if they get to like half of that or a, a quarter of that, if, they do, if they're set instead of 50%, they're only saving 10%. That's better than almost every single person <laughs> in the world. They don't save. And so that's what I do. And plus also, I also make sure that they give 20% of everything they make to mommy. This is basically tax. <laughs> <laughs> it's the tax bill. <laughs> Teach them about tax. Exactly. So it shows them they have, there's responsibilities. Like lights just don't come on for free. Like I have to pay for this stuff. So it teaches them responsibility. But do you do anything like that with your kids and showing them how to be really responsible with their money? Totally. So we're very similar. We don't give a lot of allowances, um, but they have their birthday money, they get Christmas money. And then uh, my son and my daughter is actually helping him now. And so she gets a cut, but uh, he goes and recycles. And so uh, I drink my beer, I have LaCroix, I, we have bottled water at home, right? Um, and so he takes all this stuff and then the recycling place is like three blocks from our house. So like once a week we go down there and now he knows all the people there and they love him, but he gets like four or five bucks for his like bag of cans and bottles. And same thing, we save some of it, we spend some of it. And then, uh, you know, for us, our charity is actually, we wanna give time. And so we've been actually, he was just turned five and we go to our local food bank, sorting out food and stuff like that. And I think giving back is also extremely important, whether it's money, time, all that kind of stuff. Um, but here's the interesting thing that I've learned now, now he's getting older, is he's got his money that he saves and he earns, but teaching him to spend it in ways is really crazy. So like, you know, he'll get the grocery store and he sees like a candy bar at the bottom, right? You know, and they, they market it to the kids and I'll be there and he'll be like, I want to get this. And I was like, well, it's going to come out of your, your, your money. Ah, oh, I can't. No, I don't want to. And I was like, well, that's the whole reason you saved it. So either it's not worth it to you, but it, mom and dad aren't buying this for you. Like if you want it, you can buy it. You have your, your spending. And then, you know, it's really fun to see these decision makings. Like, is it really worth it? Mm, I don't know. I had to work for that money you know, and recycle the cans. And so it's like this dilemma. And so that to me is actually the funner part is having to try to teach him the value of actual money. Because, you know, earning it and saving it, like that's fun. But like when he's trying to spend it, he has to make this decision. Is it worth it to spend or not worth it to spend? Or should I do it? I really enjoy that. And, you know, like whatever. I personally let him learn it. Like either he's going to enjoy it, he's not going to enjoy it. But like having to make that decision, I think is crucial. I love that. I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. We did something or basically the exact same thing. Um, so we would go to a store that had like a, a shooting gallery, you know, like the, the laser lights that hit something and it pops up. And so I would occasionally I'd spring for, I give them each dollar and they go play, but this is rarely, we go to the store quite a bit, but then occasionally I give them a dollar. And then once they started really getting money and started seeing the value of money, I would say, they would ask, Hey daddy, I want to go play. I'm like, okay, you have your money. And like, Oh, I got to use my own money. And then I said, yeah, you from now on, since you have money, you have to use your own money. And they literally every single one of them said, that's just a waste of money. I'm like, yes, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah <sad."> exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. And so it's like, look, I'm going to make sure you're fed and you have clothes and you've got the stuff you need for school. 
But like, you need to understand, and maybe like that X, Y, Z thing is really valuable to do. And that's why you have money. Go for it. You know, this is also the time to learn and decide. But like you and I know, it's like they buy these little widget things and it's like, you know, a day later, they forgot they even had it. And it's like, well, if that's valuable to you, go for it. And they're, they're, they're starting to learn. They learn that connection. Like, is it, is it not? I don't know. But that, that to me is really fun. And like my goal, like, I don't know. I think maybe we talked about this, but like for me, like, I don't know about college for the kids these days. I don't know about any of that stuff, but if I can instill them solid values of like responsibility and how to manage their money, like I will feel like successful, (laughs) you know, because like, I don't care about the career path and all this, like they'll work that stuff out. But like just the solid values of accountability, responsibility, like how to like understand these basic concepts of money are what really are going to define success in life, um, at least on that personal level for them. You're absolutely right. I'm 100% on board with you. Now, personally, I'm encouraging my kids, unless you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, a lawyer is a whole other thing. I'm like, do you really want to be a lawyer? Anyways, unless you're going to be (laughs) yeah, an engineer, a doctor, something you need to go to college, like I'm telling them, I can teach you how to never work a job Many different ways. Real estate is just one of, you know, uh, there's so many other things. Same thing with you. I'm not saying that college isn't right for everybody. It's just for my kids. Right. Like I could, I could teach my kids much better than anybody else how to make money. And that's what I'm actually doing. Exactly. Like I said, college could be the right choice, might not be the right choice, but there's options. And I want to see the options. But I think at the end of the day, like all we want our kids to grow up is be responsible, be accountable um, and and understand these basics of how money works. Because I mean, it's just like there's so many people that, you know, they're in their 30s and 40s and like looking at the future, looking at the past. And they're like, wow, there's like this gap of what they need to know. And that, those are like the, I always joke, there's like this thing is like, did you really need to learn trigonometry in high school? (laughs) I don't know. But like, do you need to know how to file a tax return? Yes. And how all that works. It's like, I think there's these things that we need to teach our children, um, especially how this thing works uh, more so than other things out there. I completely agree. Do you have, now this will be the last thing. I normally don't ask this, but this came, popped up in my mind. Do you have any books or anything like any source of resource that you would say, hey, this is a great book just to get started? What, do you have any thoughts like that? You know, I actually, you, the title is always like funny and, and you just saw him at FanCon, but Ramit's book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. Um, you know, very like clickbaity title solid fundamentals of how people should set up and think about their personal finances. Highly recommended. I give it to all these young adults that I know that are graduating high school and college. Um, One, I think they need the clickbaity. (laughs) But on the flip side, like if you can just take some things out about how to save, how to automate your money, like what's not really solid stuff there. Um, I mean, to me, I, I think that's, that's where it starts. Like everything else that we're talking about with real estate and investing, um, they're great tools. But like, if you don't master that, that basic level of organization and saving and stuff, like you can't even access these tools. So how do we get people to be able to access these tools that we're talking about today? I think is, is important. That's, that's fantastic. And I completely agree. So uh, Robert, I've already introduced you as the college investor at thecollegeinvestor.com. How else, like how else can somebody find you or, you know, get, get what you, what you put out? Yeah. So come to the website, but if you like to listen on audio, which you might, as you're listening to the podcast, uh, the college investor audio show is available on every medium. Um, and then you can find some of our videos on YouTube as well at the college investor. So yeah. Awesome. Hey, Robert, it's been great. Thank you so much for being here on the show. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. All right, man. Take care.
Now, wasn't that fantastic? I really appreciate Robert coming on. He's a very busy guy. In fact, he is making quite a bit of money from his college investor. That's an awesome, awesome site. He gets 3 million visitors a month. Can you believe that? That is a big site. So he is a very, very valuable person to be having on the show. So Robert, thank you very much. And everybody, if you're out there, I want you to be where Robert is, where I am investing and building businesses so you don't have to be working a job. Remember, go get my free course. Text the word rental to 33777 so you can absolutely get started investing in real estate rental properties right away. But you guys are fantastic. I so appreciate every single one of you. Thank you so much. And if you got anything out of the show, I would appreciate if you shared it with just one person. Share it with one person so that they can see how amazing real estate rental properties are and how they can quit their jobs and never work a job again. All right, guys, we'll see you next week.